We're going to be in Matthew 5, looking at the Beatitudes, in particular the last Beatitude together. You can start turning there now. So Matthew 5, we'll start in verse 1 and read all the way down to verse 12. This is the best thing I'm going to say this morning, so listen up. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In particular for us this morning, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God bless the preaching of his word. Well, seeing as we just honored our veterans, thank you again for the way you've served our country. I thought I'd pull from the OG goat of veterans, Audie Murphy, this morning for our illustration to introduce this sermon. Audie Murphy, if you don't know him, was one of the most decorated soldiers in World War II and American history. He was awarded every single military combat award a U.S. Army soldier can receive. He received a Medal of Honor in December of 1945 when he was 19 years old. Murphy and his unit were ordered to hold against a German counterattack in the area. And here's what one article uh, says in describing what he did. After the enemy soldiers hit their M10 tank destroyer, causing it to burst into flames... Murphy ordered his troops to fall back. Alone, he covered their retreat and held off their enemies by mounting the burning tank's 50 caliber machine gun and calling in artillery strikes. His position was attacked on three sides by six tanks and waves of infantry. Wounded and out of ammunition, he returned to his company, refused medical treatment, and organized a successful counterattack. Tanks and waves of infantry. This is like the classic scene where the captain's going down with the ship and everybody's crying, only for the captain then to somehow emerge from the smoke and the bullets to reclaim uh, you know, his life and lead his people into victory. This is the stuff of legend, like a movie, right? It's a kind of like Rambo stuff, for real. Most folks don't grow up dreaming about receiving every military combat award you could ever receive. But, but many do grow up dreaming of receiving a Medal of Honor. Not that it's easy to obtain at all, 
There's only been 3,515 ever given out compared to the 1.8 million Purple Hearts that have been given out for being wounded or killed by enemy attack in the line of duty. That makes a lot of sense that it's a bit selective to win a Medal of Honor because shrapnel flies to all men who fight without respect to courage. There are some who demonstrate such heroism that it deserves the Medal of Honor. One a soldier's commander nominates him for, and the president himself typically delivers. But consider the countless who have died with their heroic tales never told, with no Medal of Honor around their neck to set them apart, and nothing to remember their bravery. That's a tragedy every Medal of Honor winner feels. As the medal dawns their neck, they remember the many who didn't make it back, whose stories would never be told. That's a tragedy, but it's not one that's true of the Christian. With followers of Christ, not a single act of faith-filled bravery is forgotten, brothers and sisters. Our God sees every effort, rewards every effort, and his reward goes far beyond any glory we could receive on this earth we get a special commendation from God himself. And our text today informs us that part of what God loves to reward is our experience of persecution. We just read the blessings of Jesus, commonly known as the Beatitudes. You probably know them that way. Jesus speaks those words to folks who are already following him. It's important we know that these are not directions on how to become a Christian, These are instructions on how to live in blessing once you already are a Christian. Similar to Psalm 1, which is given to show the way of blessing to people already in the covenant people of God. These are are descriptions of, of, of blessedness for those who belong in the new covenant of Jesus Christ. The section we're looking at specifically today is aiming at retraining our minds in how we think of persecution. Retraining our minds in how we think of persecution. So let's do that. Let's allow this text to reframe the way we think of persecution by asking four questions of it. First, what kind of persecution is blessed? What does the text tell us? What kind of persecution? Well, verse 10 tells us that this blessing is for persecution for righteousness sakes. So it's not being persecuted for anything. This is a specific type of mistreatment for living a distinctly conspicuous God-oriented life where everybody around you knows that dude's a Jesus follower. Taking stands on how the Bible talks about gender so that others call you a bigot and scream at you. That's hate speech. Standing up for the rights of the unborn. Standing against ethnocentrism and racism. Sharing the gospel in secular settings. Whenever we are persecuted for these type of things, Jesus tells us that's the kind of persecution that is blessed. Verse 11 then unpacks verse 10, which is interesting. Because when you read the Beatitudes, there's a rhythm, isn't there? Blessed are those that blessed are those that blessed. And even in the original, it's this beautiful poetic alliteration that's taking place. And suddenly in verse 12, er, 
it stops. And he goes into greater depth to explain the last beatitude. There's only one that Jesus explains. He's going from blessed are those that to pause, look them in the eyes, and say blessed are you. See, he had just said blessed are the persecuted. And you're thinking, what? How could that be blessed? And so he needed to look his disciples and us in the eyes, give us a personal aside, a note to us. I really meant what I just said. You are blessed when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Here he fleshes out what form persecution tends to take. Before we get physically harmed, acid words destroy us. People revile us, heaping insult after insult on us persecute us, literally chase us down, harass us. They search your internet history, trying to find your skeletons. They slander you. They utter all kind of evil against you falsely, spreading your worst private acts and making up stuff to defame your character if they can't find anything. And Jesus tells us that all of this is on my account. So once again, this is not any kind of suffering. This is suffering for following Christ. It's people mistreating you because of your faith. Some of you are experiencing this already, albeit in lesser degrees than others throughout the world, but still it's affected you, and maybe you've been passed over at work for a promotion, or you don't have many friends Perhaps you've come to Christ recently and your family and friends are distancing themselves from you because you're changed. Students, maybe no one really wants to hang out with you because of your high moral standards. They feel judged by you even though you're kind towards others because you're not willing to partake of the same things that they'll do. Friends, Jesus sees the hostility that you have experienced he is preparing a reward that goes far beyond the highest honors of our world. And when you receive that honor in full, you will not doubt that it was worth the cost. Now, let's not be mistaken. Even if you are not personally experiencing hostility for your faith right now, there are many being actually killed for their faith worldwide. Brother Pat has led us well in, in the um, World Watch statistics in the different countries. If you look at Open Doors USA, the ministry that puts that on, they let you know that one in seven believers right now face persecution worldwide. One in seven. And in countries like Afghanistan, North Korea, and Somalia, Libya, Eritrea, Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, Pakistan, and India, places like that, over 360 million Christians live under acute persecution. Some have estimated that over 70 million people have died for their faith since the time of Christ. And many believe that right now there are more being persecuted than ever before. Persecution is happening in our world, even if it doesn't feel like it on our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Persecution is happening in our family of churches, specifically. 
This time last year, Sovereign Grace pastor missionary Michael Granger, who's planted a church in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, he was pastoring, the church was thriving, and suddenly political unrest took his country in Ethiopia by storm to the point where Tigray rebels were 80 miles outside of his city and everyone was evacuating the city. Michael refused to leave because he knew that he would never be able to pastor these people with them trusting him if he left. And so he counted it a joy to suffer for his Savior and his flock. And by God's grace, he never had to face that force, but they were very close, and he was in imminent danger. You guys know better than I, because of our work of, from Kyle and others, but the Belarusian brothers and sisters who are being thrown in prison but remaining on mission, pastoring, evangelizing, and planning churches in the midst of persecution. It's incredible. Our Ukrainian partners have turned their church into a refugee center and a revival tent of sorts, as thousands have come into their church, received care, and heard the gospel. Our partner in southeastern Asia spends his weekends preaching to a church of over a thousand people who are mostly recently converted and then spends his weekdays visiting his members in prison who, because they have come to Christ, have been locked away. Persecution is a reality in our world. All we have to do is open our eyes to see it. What kind of persecution is blessed? It's the kind that's for Jesus specifically. Second, what about our American experience, right? Most of the examples I just gave were out there. What about especially 21st century American experience? So, I mean, you look at political trends, and we may rightly be concerned. And I know that I look at that, and I go, ah, oh, what's happening with our country? What's our future? But I know that my life, honestly, is pretty easy compared to most Christians in history. I'm not being kicked out of my home. I'm not fearful to gather with my church publicly. I can share the gospel without legal ramifications in most contexts. I can even work for Christian organizations and live most of my life completely insulated from the world. Beyond that, think about how our physical suffering is limited today. We have electricity, personalized heating, personalized air conditioning, personalized transportation, ample clothing, a personal doctor, a renowned expert available for our specific condition. We got Tylenol for a headache, antibiotics for infections, and we even have Theraflu to take the edge off of nausea every once in a while. I mean, I've never even been in a real fight. <laughs> One time I cut my finger changing a light bulb and I fainted. <laughs> I mean, I'm not suffering in the way that many have. What do we do with that experience? What do we do with our limited suffering today? Well, I found a friend who helped me, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I want to I turn to him to get some counsel. Bonhoeffer lived through the first half of the 20th century. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, in which he challenged the Christians of his time to live out the cost of following Christ. He saw in many a Christianity of nominalism, an a, a easy Christianity that didn't factor in the calling 
of followers of Christ to suffer. And so he wrote these words to those people, but they're still so relevant for us today. I think we have this on the uh, slide. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. Suffering, cross, persecution. They are not a possibility that we just hopefully can get out of the way of and not experience. Cross, suffering, and being mistreated for our faith begin the moment we follow Christ. The cross is there. Kobanhofer continues, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to following him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world, but it's the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. So brothers and sisters, whether you are experiencing acute persecution for your faith right now, God is calling all of us to die as we follow him, a spiritual commitment of our lives over to him. We are dead to our lives. They are his completely. Even before we knew Christ, we did some good things. We did some nice things, but it was always for the wrong reason. It was to make us feel better about ourselves or to get something out of the person that we were helping. We were sort of paying it forward for that dopamine hit. What God requires of us is to kill that old man, to put to death that self-centered way of thinking. Now, whether God will call you or me to die for our faith, I do not know. But what I do know is that all of us must be ready to do so. We must have renounced our rights and forsaken our own wants completely so that we are ready to completely follow Jesus. So that if the political scenario of our country changes overnight, our faith remains even more zealously pursuing Christ. Or if God calls you to go and support a work in a hard place to do ministry, you are all the more zealous to follow Jesus Christ. The cross remains for us, even in our contexts. And we have to be careful, friends, because it's just so easy to be a Christian, to adopt the title Christian without experiencing persecution. We need to make sure we've counted the cost, like Bonhoeffer wanted his people to think, to think through that. Again, Bonhoeffer urges us in that book the cross is there right from the beginning. He has only got to pick it up. There is no need for him to go out and look for a cross for himself. No need for him to deliberately run after suffering. Jesus says that every Christian has his own cross waiting for him. A cross destined and appointed by God. 
Each must endure his allotted share of suffering and rejection, but each has a different share. Some God deems worthy of the highest form of suffering and gives them the grace of martyrdom, while others he does not allow to be tempted above that which they are able to bear. But it is the one and the same cross in every case. You don't have to go and move somewhere and be persecuted for your faith acutely to legitimize your faith. You don't have to choose a bigger cross for yourself. All you have to do is accept the one that God's already placed in your life. It's a very curious sect of of monks that existed in the 400s called the Pillar Monks. They did this crazy thing. They got this completely wrong. They thought the only way to glory and honor was to just like hurt yourself and cause as much suffering in your life as possible. So what they would do is they would erect these big pillars and then they would climb up on top of them and live up there for years. There's a guy named Simeon the Stylite, the elder, He climbed up the top of his pillar, and he died 37 years later. And he's quoted as as pleading with the worms to feast on his flesh. How arrogant. How arrogant to just say, I can handle the suffering. I'm going to intentionally hurt myself and somehow trick God into giving me glory? Brothers and sisters, we're not called to arrogant pride and just taking on bigger things than God has called us to. We're called to a humble submission to the Lord of the universe of what he places in our lives and in our heart. To know that he can give us the help. He can give us the power to even die for our faith. But if we're doing that in our own strength, Lord, help us. We will not stand. Everyone's cross is different. What our cross looks like is up to Jesus. He does not make mistakes. He has planned your experience since before the foundations of the world. So whether you're like the Apostle Peter and you're hung upside down for your faith, or you're like John who lived to an old age, Jesus tells them and us all, what is that to you? You follow me. It's not about validating your faith by suffering. It's about following Jesus no matter what he calls to you, no matter the cost. So what about our American experience? Well, we need to have a heart inclination towards persecution that doesn't run and embraces what God places in our life. Third question of our text, what does it mean to be blessed or blessed? What does it mean really, to be blessed. Nine times we read that word blessed in the Beatitudes. Here it translates the word makarios, which is really hard to translate. Really hard. When we see that word blessed, we tend to think of someone who's really fortunate or worse, lucky. Something happens that's really nice for them. They go on their Insta and it's like, I guess I'm blessed. That's what pops into my mind, at least. But what Jesus has in mind here is actually a desirable state of being, a noble 
honored state, a cherished position, something to be congratulated in that somebody has found themselves in. It's not directly a feeling of happiness, of like, I'm feeling so good. Not really. But it is something that we should be happy to occupy. It's not so much a, wow, I'm so glad lightning didn't strike my house, as it is, wow, I can't believe I get to see my need for Jesus. I get to truly grieve the curse. I get to truly seek and thirst for righteousness, extend mercy, pursue purity, bring peace to the angry, and suffer for a name as great as Jesus's? Why me? It's a state of immense privilege and importance and future glory. So who are the blessed? Well, if you read through the Beatitudes, they're the ones who are citizens of heaven, who will be comforted, who will inherit the earth, who will be utterly happy, who will intimately know God and call him father, who will be crowned and rewarded beyond their wildest dreams. So what does it mean to be blessed? It means to be found in the most enviable position a human could ever dream of. In persecution is a big part of what that looks like in the present. Brothers and sisters, how do you think of persecution? Is it something to be avoided? Is it something to be shameful in your life? You just, you just feel shame when you're mistreated for Jesus. Is it something you're depressed over? Friends, when persecution comes, It's a badge of honor. We must not see it as God abandoning us because persecution, cross, suffering, all those things are a part of the calling of the Christian and are a main cause of your future glory. Listen, just as Jesus, he he earned the name above all names by bearing a cross, we too, in bearing our lesser cross, will receive a lesser glory, but still a glory that will blow us away for all eternity. But it's through the cross, my friends. How do you feel? How do you think about persecution in your life when you're mistreated for your faith? We should cherish it as an enviable position among mankind. Finally, let's ask this last question of the text. What must be our attitude toward persecution in general? Just to clarify and bring this all to a head. Must we seek persecution? No. Just go ahead and underline. You you don't have to seek persecution. It's not a Buddhistic pursuit of suffering to atone for your sins that God desires. It is a life that sings to Christ who has atoned for your sins, right? You cannot suffer to atone for your sins. There is one who has already suffered in your place for your sins. It's a life turned over to Jesus that we're looking for here. A life that sings, oh Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be my only boast is you. 
And then if everything is stripped away from you and you're like Job in the ashes, it's a life that still must sing, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Because you know what? You can lose this whole world, but you can't lose every blessing in the heavenly places because you have Jesus Christ. Friends, must we endure persecution? Is there a way to avoid it? Is there a shortcut? Jesus couldn't be clearer. He tells us emphatically how he must orient towards persecution when it comes our way in verse 12. He said, rejoice and be glad. Imperative commands to us. And like the disciples, we're like, what in the world? How can we rejoice when we're losing our job or on the run because of our faith? Well, because Jesus is worth it. In comparison to the treasure that he is, even the worst suffering is nothing compared to eternity with him. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't believe in Christ. You think he was a dude, a nice dude who lived a long time ago, but everybody's making a bigger deal out of him than they should. I'm so glad you're here. Really so glad you're here. And maybe you're even thinking, who is Jesus to, to be demanding this of his people? Rejoicing in persecution? How dare he? Well, that's actually the same question Jesus was hoping his disciples would be asking of him. Who is this man who's promising blessing for poverty, blessing for mourning, blessing for persecution? This man is no ordinary man. Jesus is the one through whom all things were created, and he is the one for whom all things were created. Jesus is not just a man. He's the all-powerful, all-wise, all-present, all-blessed, never-changing, never-wanting, never-ending God Almighty. And Jesus, the Son of God, left the glory of heaven to become a man. Not to live a life of ease or to win and crush his foes with an easy victory. He came to suffer for righteousness' sake. To die on a cross to rescue sinners who deserve to die. And he took the full wrath of God for every sinner who trusts in him. And he brought them into his covenant blessedness. And friends, Revelation pictures Jesus as the lamb who died, as those slain who's standing and resurrected. But he is worshipped for eternity for his wounds, for his suffering, for his scars. We will extol him as the lamb who was slain and is standing. His glory comes through suffering. The God who created everything lowers himself to suffer. And so when Jesus looks at you, my friends, and tells you to rejoice in persecution, he does so as your God who should judge you and your merciful Savior who takes your blame. But he also calls you to rejoice because he's the kind of person who never fails to deliver on his promises. He's the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. And he says, let there be reward, and there will be reward. 
He's the one who said, it is finished on the cross and sins were forever atoned for. And he says, your work will be rewarded and you will eternally experience the fullness of that reward. Maybe you're thinking, that's impossible. To follow Jesus, to rejoice in persecution, you are flat out right. Left to yourself, you cannot do this. This is a miracle of grace. But miracles are what Jesus is all about. The grace of Jesus Christ is able to take the weakest and most feeble of sinners and turn them into the greatest of heroes. Folks, if you trust in Jesus, you weren't a medal of honor winner when he called you. You ran from the draft. You ran away to chase ease and comfort and the secret cravings of your heart. Some of you folks did that in secret. Some of you guys did that in public, blatantly. Both of us in both categories were running after ourselves, avoiding the fight, selfishly pursuing ourselves. But God in his richness of grace not only paid for our sins, but he is also transforming us from cowardly people to courageous. He's changed Peter from someone who denied Jesus before a servant girl to someone who rejoiced at being beaten. He changed Paul from persecuting Christ and killing people who love Jesus to somebody who held up his scars and his stripes as his greatest badge of honor. Friends, any other person who commands us to rejoice in persecution would be horribly terrible, a complete sicko. But because of who Jesus is and because of his faithfulness to do what he says, This command is reason for great faith and great joy. All of this has been pointing us to a specific outcome. Christ wants to look at us, take it aside from the Beatitudes and speak faith into our chests. He's calling you to rejoice in the blessed state of persecution because of the future award that awaits you. Rejoice in the blessed state of persecution because of the future reward that awaits you. What does that look like here and now? It looks like not living for safety. Has God put a desire in your chest to plant a church, to go on a church plant, but you're just afraid of how it might go? Blessed are the persecuted, rejoice. You can trust that that desire is from the Lord and you can go and you can take risks for the Lord. Has God placed a call to go to another place on earth that is hard to evangelize in? We go. We don't play the safe route. We follow what God has placed on our heart to do and submitted to the council of elders because we know that it's not about safety. It's about living for the faithful one who will reward us for every labor. We don't live to avoid shame. So if you've been bad-mouthed at work, or you've been silenced and made fun of at school, you don't go quiet. You keep boldly proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing the Lord sees every single attempt, and he will reward you, and you can rejoice even in the shame. We don't live for temporary prosperity. We live for eternal security. 
So even if our retirement plan is looking iffy, maybe we continue generously giving and sacrificing for the mission of the church to continue on and to help others in need. Why? Because Christians aren't living for this world. We are living for Christ and the reward that will come. And friends, it will come. We rejoice in the providence and the blessed, happy seasons of life. And we rejoice in the road marked in suffering and the blessed persecution of our life. Brothers and sisters, embrace the lesser persecution that Jesus has placed in your life. For it is the pathway to his medal of honor. It is his call to glory. Remember those who are in acute persecution for their faith. Remember them. Pray for them. Pray for their protection and deliverance. Pray for their mission, the gospel to go forth. But do not pray for them as though they are unfortunate. I'm so glad I got it this way. And they're, ah, it's just so sad that they, they are blessed. They are in the enviable state of future reward. So esteem them and pray for them that God might give them the grace that they need to stand under the trials that they are facing and embrace the cross that God has placed in your life. Earlier I mentioned that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book to help Christians embrace the cost of discipleship. But he didn't just write a book, he lived it. Some of you know his story well. As Adolf Hitler rose to power in the church in Germany, became increasingly persecuted, Bonhoeffer was able to escape to America. And you think that he would just simply continue preaching and teaching from there, but Bonhoeffer chose to bear his German brother's burdens. Here's a recounting of what happened next. Soon he felt that he could not stay there, but that he had to return to his country. When he came to England on his return from the United States, his friends quickly realized that Bonhoeffer's heart belonged to his oppressed and persecuted fellow Christians in Germany, and that he would not desert them at a time when they needed him most. Here's quoting Bonhoeffer. I shall have no right, Bonhoeffer wrote, to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Christians in Germany will face the terrible alternative of either willing the defeat of their nation in order that Christian civilization may survive or willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroying our civilization. I know which of these alternatives I must choose, but I cannot make this choice in security. Bonhoeffer never regretted this decision, not even in prison, where he wrote in later years, I am sure of God's hand and guidance. You must never doubt that I am thankful and glad to, do, to go the way which I am being led. My past life is abundantly full of God's mercy, and above all sin stands the forgiving love of the crucified. Bonhoeffer would then die for his faith. Friends, do not shrink when the fiery trial of persecution comes upon you, but rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Christ himself will be your reward. 
you will belong to him and he will comfort and satisfy and reward you forever. He is worth the cost. With Bonhoeffer, you will say, I am glad to go the way which I am being led. May God make us into people whose face shines to the glory of God under the fiery trial of persecution. One day there will be a greater Medal of Honor ceremony when Christ himself will place a crown of glory on the head of all who suffer for his name. And he will, we will cast our crowns at his feet in utter bliss and wonder at being found to be faithful by the King of Kings. The Medal of Honor in the United States has one word engraved, valor, which means bravery under intense danger. One day our reward will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Our Medal of Honor will read valor by grace. We are called to courage. We are called to rejoice in persecution, but we do so by grace. All by Christ all for Christ, and all for his glory and our good. What a privilege it is to serve our God. Let me pray. Lord, you're worth it all. Jesus, you are the one who makes all of these states blessed. Mourning, poor in spirit, mercy, peacemaking. Lord, all of it's pointless without you. But because of who you are, we so long to live for you, even in the midst of trial. So Lord, as our nation rages and totters, as kingdoms rise and fall, may we rejoice and be glad for all that we have in you, Jesus. And would you be glorified in our midst as we follow you. And we remember our brothers and sisters who are in prison and those who face extreme hostility for their faith. Comfort them, strengthen them, and open their eyes to the blessed state that they occupy. May they feel your eternal and inscrutable bonds of love in deep ways, even as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.